yourself. I'm glad y'all had that muted. I've been doing a duet with Matt, and you know, I thought something had happened to him. Um, 1 John chapter 3, uh, we've looked at thus far the fact that to be part of a family, we need to be born, right? And as we are born into that family, that family dynamic is good or as bad as it is helps to shape us, inform us, and mold us into the people that we are. In the spiritual realm, we're born spiritually, born again. And when we're born again, we become part of the universal family of God, the extended family of God. And, and we should be part of the immediate family of God that we are fellowshipping with, that we're worshiping with. Ideally, a family that's made up of children and uh, children that are new believers, uh, the, the older men that have walked with God for a long time and are spiritually maturing, older women who are spiritually mature and able to pour into younger women, and younger men who are strong and courageous and overcoming the evil one. We saw all that this morning. Now, this evening, I want us to see um, kind of the point of all of this, the end goal, so to speak, of all of this, and it is ultimately for us to grow, for us to mature, for us to flourish as believers, for us to be developed as believers into a mature Christ-like follower of Jesus, for us to look like our Father, right? For us to look like Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, we see that John writes this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. We are spiritually born again, as we saw last night. And, as, and the moment we are spiritually born again, we are converted, justified, and what? Adopted into the family of God. We are His children. Even now we are His children. John 1, 12 and 13, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it is not appeared as yet what we will be. We're children of God now, but we haven't seen yet what we are going to be. When we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. So we have been born again, made children of God. And right now we're children of God, but we don't yet know what we're going to be. But we do know that when He comes, we are going to see Him, and we are going to be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. There is a word that describes this moment, either when we pass from life to death, when we cross over into death, or when Jesus returns, 
and we see Him as He is, and we are made like Him. And that word is glorification. We have been glorified at this point. We see Christ as He is. We become like Jesus. It's like the fast forward button is hit. And we become everything that God intended us to be. Just like Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Think about that for a minute. We wait for Christ. Why do we wait for Christ? Because He's going to transform this humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Glorification. So this is the goal. We've been born, we're part of the family of God, and the ultimate goal is glorification. The ultimate goal is for us to be conformed into His likeness. The ultimate goal is for us to look like Christ. The ultimate goal is for us to see Him as He is and to be like Him. But until we get to that point, until we are transformed, we are being transformed. Until we are transformed... We are being transformed. Until we are glorified, we are getting closer and closer and closer to glory. We are growing. We're maturing. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So there's something that happens between being born into this family of God and glorification. And it is, we are being transformed. We are taking one step from glory to glory to glory until we get to glorification. And we can call this time period between birth and death, between new life and final glorification, sanctification. Sanctification. What does the word sanctification mean? The word sanctification, according to Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, is a progressive work of God. Notice how he words this. I think every word in this definition he pondered, and every word is important. It is a progressive work. And it's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So this is a progressive, ongoing work from glory to glory, transformation that happens, that's done by God, but not only God, it's done by man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives, in this portion of time here, in our actual lives, before the final glorification. God is working together with us to remove sin, to remove sin, to battle sin, to help us overcome sin, to make us more and more and more like Jesus so that we're not ashamed of His coming. And when He comes, we will be finally transformed, conformed into His image, glorified. That's what we want to talk about tonight, is maturing, growing, being sanctified. What do we know about sanctification? According to Grudem, it's a work of God. 
ultimately, finally, we know that God is the one who sanctifies us by causing us to want His will. By causing us to want His will and by giving us the power to do His will. Listen, if God didn't give us the want to, none of us would want to. So ultimately and finally, our sanctification rests with God giving us the want to and then also giving us the power to. If God gave us the want to without the power to, we would only want to. But He gave us the want to and the power to so we can want to and accomplish it. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's God that's working in you that causes you to will or to want and to work for His good pleasure. So sanctification is a work of God. Sanctification also involves man. Let's look back at 1 John chapter 3. Reading verse 3, what does it say? Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Notice what he says. Everyone who is hoping for glorification, for final glorification, for eternal life in heaven with Jesus, everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. We, we put our hope on Christ and we purify ourselves as Jesus is pure. God and man work together to make us more and more free from sin and more like Jesus to make us pure. What does it mean to purify ourselves? Does it mean that we ride the escalator down a step above everybody else? That's what a lot of the church does. We see the whole world just circling the toilet drain, right? Just, just picture the, the world riding down the escalator as it goes down. And, you know, we're pretty comfortable if we stack two or three steps above them. We're riding right on down with them, but we're two or three steps above them. We're better than those folks. We're doing better than that group. We're doing better than, than the folks we see on the news. That's not what the aim is. The aim is purity. The aim is holiness. The aim is blamelessness. The aim is for us to purify ourselves even as He is pure. And let me tell you where Jesus is. Jesus isn't riding the escalator down two or three steps above the world. He's at the top of the steps. And He hasn't moved. And we shouldn't move either. This is the standard God has for us. Listen to these verses, Matthew 5, 48. He says, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Philippians 1.10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the standard. Perfection, the standard is holiness, the standard is blamelessness, the standard is righteousness. And thank God that when we are born again and we convert, we repent and put our faith in Christ, that we are immediately what? Justified. 
we have imputed to us, we have imputed to us His righteousness. That means that He takes the very righteousness of Jesus and He applies it to our account. And therefore, if we were to drop dead right then, God doesn't see our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions, but He sees the perfect righteous record of Jesus. It is, is, it is as if we have never sinned, but have lived a perfect, holy, blameless life. We have been declared righteous not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We've been declared righteous. But it's not just a declared righteous that the Bible's after. It's also a practical righteousness. So we've been declared righteous and blameless and holy in the heavenly places. And now in the earthly places, we need to be working that out. We need to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. God has declared us righteous, and now practically we need to be becoming what He has declared us to be. Does that make sense? We've been declared righteous. We're safe. We're secure in the arms of Jesus. But while we're on this earth, we need to be becoming practically what He has declared us to be. And the aim is not to be two steps above the world on the escalator on the way down. The aim is to be blameless. The aim is to be holy. The aim is to be pure. Is this too severe? Are we overreacting? Thomas Watson, Puritan pastor, said, if there is only one nest egg, the devil can brood on it. One dead fly will spoil the whole box of precious ointment. A drop of poison will spoil a whole glass of wine. One disease is enough to kill one millstone will sink a man into the sea as well as a hundred. Jesus in Matthew 18 says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And I had these seminary professors that said, Well, you can't take the Bible literally because Jesus obviously literally didn't mean to cut your hand or your foot off, right? I said, well, if we read on, it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. That seems pretty literal to me. It'd be better to be handless and go to heaven than to have both your hands and go to hell. That's pretty literal. Now, does he mean we should cut our hands off? Probably not. But is he serious about sin? Absolutely. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's pretty severe. But it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. We don't put our sin to rest. We put our sin to death. That is what sanctification is. It is putting our sin not to rest, but putting our sin to death. It is like when J.L. took the tent peg and drove it through Sisera's temple into the ground. It wasn't a tap, tap, tap. It was, you don't want, to mess, don't want to mess with this woman. She's going to give you some warm milk and cover you up and you will be dead before you knew what hit you. Saul was sent to annihilate the Amalekites. And what did Saul do? He took some spoil, and he also took King Agag and put him in chains. So what did God do? He sent Samuel. And what did Samuel do? 1 Samuel 15, 33, Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. 
Samuel walks up and says, What is this blading of sheep that I hear in my ear? And Saul begins to blubber, make his excuses. And he says, Why is King Agag in chains? You were told to annihilate the Amalekites. And Samuel takes a sword. This is some kind of preacher now. He takes the sword and he hacks him. He doesn't just kill him. He hacks him into pieces in front of everybody and leaves a bloody mess for all to see. And some of us have our King Agag sin and we poke at it, we prod at it, we put it in chains for a little while, we set it on the shelf over here. When the, when the, what God wants us to do with it is hack it to pieces and leave a bloody mess. We trifle with sin. We spar with sin instead of really fighting sin to the death. We've all seen the little fencers, right? In their little get-up with their pointy swords. Like we're fencing with the devil instead of really seeking to run him through with the sword of the Spirit. Listen to this quote by William Gurnall, another Puritan. I only quote dead people because live people let you down. These guys are dead now. They can't let me down. <clears throat> Just sometimes, indeed, there appears a scuffle between Satan and a carnal heart, but it is a mere cheat, like the fighting of two fencers on a stage. You would think at first they were in earnest, but observing how wary they are and where they hit one another, you may soon know they do not mean to kill. And that which puts all out of doubt. When the prize is done, you shall see them making merry together with what they have got of their spectators, which was all they fought for. When a carnal heart makes the greatest bustle against sin by complaining of it or praying against it, follow him but off the stage of duty where he has gained the reputation of a saint, the prize he fights for. And you will see them sit as friendly together in a corner as ever. In other words, we live like on Judgment Day. Our reputation will matter. Rather than living like on Judgment Day, that the only thing will matter is what Jesus knows. Sanctification is not fencing with sin, it's not sparring with sin, it's not trifling with sin, it's not putting our sin in chains, putting our sin to rest, it is fighting sin to the death. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh you must die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How will you live? Only if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body. With the help of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. In the words of another dead Puritan, John Owen, make it your daily work. Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sanctification is God willing in us, giving us the want to and the how to, to put to death sin in our life to do away with sin in our life, to overcome sin in our life, and to be made more and more and more into the image of God. And that is what maturity is. You can study your Lifeway lesson. You can read your Bible through in a year. You can learn to speak Christianese. You can sing the songs. You can go to church every Sunday. And I have a hundred 
percent attendance record. You can give money in the plate. But if you are not at war with your sin and becoming more and more like Jesus, all of that is nothing but show. The true mark of sanctification is battling sin and winning. We know we won't finally win and fully win until glorification. But we ought to be making progress, amen? So let's talk about how we are sanctified. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm about to add something to this sermon. Andy's not here to keep time. It's okay. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, it says this, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. Now pay attention. God's chosen you from the beginning for salvation through what? Sanctification. Now listen, the way to get from here to here, there's only one way to get from here to here, and that's right there, sanctification. There's only one way to get here, and that's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. But when you get here, when you enter the narrow gate, there's only one way to get from the narrow gate to the celestial city, and that is by way of the path called sanctification. God has chosen us from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's for this sanctification that He's called us so that we can gain the glory, glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. How are we sanctified? He gives us two key elements of sanctification. One is the Spirit, and the other is truth. You see that? By the Spirit and faith and the truth. What's the truth? The truth is the Word of God, right? It's the Scriptures. We're sanctified, we're purified by the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, light to my path. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If we're to be purified, we must be faithful to be in the Scriptures because it's the Scriptures that are going to show us our sin. And it's the Scriptures that are going to help us deal with our sin. Elizabeth Elliot said, The Word of God I think of as a straight edge which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. A.W. Tozer said, The Word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection, and we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. If we're to be pure, if we're to be 
blameless, if we're to be from glory to glory to glory, then we have to be in the Word of God. We must be faithful to be in the Word. But not just truth. There was another element. Spirit. This book is not just a book. You can't open this book up and read it just like it's a, it's a normal book, a fiction book, a history book, a science book, a biology book, or whatever kind of book. The things in this book are spiritually discerned. So we have to have the Spirit to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our lives. We have to have the Spirit who will open our ears and will open our eyes and will open our hearts and will transform our minds. We need the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts. So when we go to the Scriptures, when we go to the truth, we have to go to the truth with the help of the Spirit until we hear from Him. So we go to Him in prayer and we plead for the Spirit to help us to see and to hear and to understand. And He will speak to us. And sometimes, like we said this morning, the meals might be bland. But we keep pulling up to the table because we know at some point He's going to make a meal just for us. Now, if I go to Planet Fatness, I mean Fitness, sorry. <clears throat> I go to Planet Fatness. You may go to Planet Fitness. If I go to Planet Fitness and I talk to the personal trainer there, and I say, look, I'm 45 years old. Joints are always hurting. Can't get rid of the gut. Can't lose weight. He's going to put together me a plan, isn't he? The personal trainer is going to say, well, here's what you need to do at your age with a chip vertebra in your spine. This is what you need to do. You don't need to get over here and do this. You need to get over here and do this, right? And you, to get rid of this gut, at your age, your condition, you need to work these things this way, this time, these days. Same, same day, another guy shows up and meets with the personal trainer, and he's 25, no chip vertebra, he's 25, no gut, he's 25, and the personal trainer says, Here's what I'm going to do for you. If I go into the gym and me and Mr. 25-year-old are, are working out at the same time, you know, and I'm looking over there at him and I think, wow, it seems like, you know, his, his pecs are showing a little bit more than mine. Or I think he's, he seems to be on to something. He seems to be making some progress. More so than me, I look in the mirror, I don't see any difference. I think I like what he's doing better than what that guy's got me doing. I'm going to go join him in his plan. When I get on his plan, what's going to happen? That chip vertebra is going to say, help, and my gut's going to say, stop, and 45 is going to say, you're not 25, right? The personal trainer has put together a plan just for me, where I am in my life, where I am at my age and my condition that is best for me, and he's put together a plan for that guy that's best for him where he is in his life and in his condition, and he don't need to be doing my plan, and I don't need to be doing his plan, and some of you, what you do, instead of opening up the Word of God with the help of the Spirit to see what your personal trainer has to say to you through the Word of God, you look over there at somebody else in your D group, or somebody else in your church, or somebody else that you know, and you say, man, they seem to be doing so much better than I am. They seem to be growing so much faster than I am. They seem to be so much more joyful than I am. They seem to be so much happier than I am. I think I want to just like, what are you reading? Well, I'm just watching Joel Osteen and, and Joyce Meyer all the time. Well, no wonder you're so happy. you got your best life now. Well, that was bad. Let's just throw that out. Forget I said that. <laughs> and let's say I'm reading... I'm reading 1 John, 40 times this month. And it's really working for me. It's really speaking to me. Well, I'm just going to do what you do. 
I'm going to listen to who you listen to. I'm going to, I'm going to try to follow you and how you seem to be growing. Listen, we benefit from other people. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But it's when you prayerfully approach the Word of God with the help of the Spirit that He puts together a plan just for you, just where you are. And it may not seem like it's the best. You've got to trust the Spirit to speak to you, to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to impact your life with things that sometimes seem bland, things that sometimes seem rich, things that sometimes seem too salty. And follow Him step by step in the plan He's put together for you if you are going to be sanctified. It's the truth. And it's the Spirit working with the truth. Does that make sense? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are you transformed? By the renewal of your mind. And how is our mind renewed? Word of God. And we really don't have any excuse. Shane Pruitt said this. The average person reads over 265 social media posts, emails, and text messages every day on their phones and tablets. Proof positive that we really do have time to read our Bibles every day. We just choose to use our time for lesser things. Hope that we'll all be like John Wesley in this regard. He said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God Himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, He came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. I have it. Here's knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. If we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be glorified, the way we are glorified, saved, past tense, as we go through sanctification, and the way we are sanctified is to get into the Word of God with the help of the Spirit. And that's what happens inside of us, our, within our four walls of life. But God didn't just leave us with our four walls of life, with the Spirit and with truth. He gave us something else. And it's what we talked about this morning. It's the family of God. We're sanctified by one another. Now some of you out there say, well, you know, I just need a Bible and the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? I don't need to go down there to church. I don't need to hear from anybody else. I just need the Bible and the Holy Spirit. You do need the Bible and the Holy Spirit every day. But you do need others. There was an Ethiopian eunuch who was riding along in his chariot and he had the Bible and he had the Holy Spirit there. And he had no clue what to do with what he was reading until Philip showed up. And there's times in your life you may have been a Christian a good while and there comes situations and circumstances that you run into and you just don't know what to do with them. And you may dive into the Word and in prayer and the Word and in prayer and the Word and in prayer. And what you might need is somebody else to come alongside you. One of these older men. One of these mothers. One of these young men. One of these sisters to say, hey, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Let me help you. Sanctification is something that happens 
in, commu in community. Acts chapter 2, I'm not going to read it because I found another verse I want to read in a minute. You know what happens in Acts 2, Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved, and what happens immediately, they become a community. They begin to eat with one another. They begin to worship with one another. They begin to pray together, study the word together. There's a lot of together going on. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, some of you know how to stir up one another, especially your spouses. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I know how to stir up my wife. I, she had one of those little bars or something they gave with the gluten-free meals today. And she was talking about, Oh, these bars are so good. I don't know why they would give these away. So I thought it was going to be cool. I was going to steal it off the table you know, and hide it. And make her hunt it a while before I brought it up, just to stir her up. Well, she always lets me down because she has kind of short-term memory loss sometimes. She just got up and walked out. Didn't even think about the bar. So we get all the way back to the room, and I'm like, well, you ruined this. And unzip my pocket and said, here's your bar I was hiding from you. But we all know how to stir one another up, right? But this says to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is why we are not only born again, but we are born again into a spiritual family because we need the energy of those children. We need the wisdom and experience of those fathers. We need the nurturing of those mothers. We need the strength and the valor of those young men. We need the strong testimony of the young women. We need the one another's to help us make it to the finish line. Don't ask me why. I didn't design it. God's the one who designed it this way. That when we become believers, that we need the Word of God and we need to be praying to the Spirit of God and we need the people of God to get us to glorification. I want you to imagine this with me. Right here, we're just a big square chunk of marble. And the Holy Spirit, the master artist, steps back and he says, I want this piece of marble to look like Jesus. So he picks up the chisel, which is the Word of God. And he begins to chip away at our sin. And he begins to chip away at our iniquity. And he begins to work that tool in his hand to make us more and more into the image of Christ. And this is sometimes a joy. Reviving. Like I've been born again again. And sometimes it's painful. Involving discipline for sin. Sometimes it's difficult marked by trials and tests. But He, the Holy Spirit, is an artist who never rests. Jeremiah said, He is the potter and we're the clay. And those around us, the family of God, they, they encourage us to persevere through the carving. And I'm going to tell you something. We think of sanctification just like this, don't we? But I'm going to show you what sanctification really looks like.
Because the spiritual life is not a straight line up. The spiritual life has some high moments. And the spiritual life has some low moments. And for every one of these moments, we need the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the saints coming together to help us reach our final destination, which is glorification. It's our sanctification that gives us peace with God and our assurance with God. I want you to look at this scripture that just showed up here in my mind. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, and this we're going to finish up. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. have an English lesson. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So let's just say for by one offering, what's the offering he's talking about? That offering happened back here somewhere, about A.D. 30-ish, right? And it was his atoning death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. For by one offering, what does it say? He has perfected. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? It's past tense. That means it's already done, right? So he has already perfected. Past tense. It is done. The Envelope sealed, stamps on it, it's in the mail. The text message has been sent, there's no getting it back. It's done. He has perfected for all time. What is all time? Is it past? Yeah. Is it present? Is it future? So, so he has already in the past perfected for all time, past, present, and future, who? Good Baptists, those who pray the sinner's prayer just right, those who get baptized, those who join the church, those who do good things. No, those who are sanctified. Some translations say being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? Present, right? Right now. You want to know if, you've, if you're perfect in the eyes of God? You want to know if you're holy, if you're blameless, if you're righteous in the eyes of God? You don't need to stress over if you got every word of the sinner's prayer right. You don't need to stress over what tomorrow holds. You need to look down and say, is the Holy Spirit taking the chisel of the Word of God and chipping away at my sin, as painful as it may be, and making me more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and is the family of God helping move me along in that direction? And if you are being sanctified... He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the family of God and how You use the Spirit and the Scriptures and the saints to hold us up in the low times and to 
celebrate with us in the high times, pull us back in the wayward times, and to tolerate us in the difficult times as we journey together from childhood to young adulthood to old age spiritually on our way down Sanctification Road to the kingdom of God where we will all be glorified and be like you. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.